Today I'm going to be talking about the multi-classing do's and don'ts, NPCs, and how to play them, and finally, one of my favorite NPC stories. This is Dungeon Man Dragon Master. It's the Dragon Master! Let's talk about one of my favorite things ever, and that's multi-classing. I don't ever like to be the middle-of-the-road guy. You know, I want to be a little bit different, and so multi-classing is a really good way for me, the stat nerd to find synergies and just show my individuality, my creativity just a little bit and never just be that thing. I can be a couple of things. Um, and the way I like to describe multi-classing to people who are like new to the concept or new to the game uh, is that when you take a level, you can take a level in a class you have or a class that you don't have, assuming you have the right stats. Uh, a class that you do have Taking a level in that will make you more powerful. And taking a level in a class that you don't have will make you more versatile. So it's just a, a give and take of what you're looking for. And of course, to the technical stuff, uh, in order to multi-class, you have to meet a base 13 in the ability score or scores of your class as well as the class you want to go into. You probably already know that, or you don't need to care about that yet. And so I like to think that you want to be a little bit conscious of your stats when you're building in the first place if you think you might want to multi-class into something just make sure you've got a plan to get to that 13 without having to use too many ability score increases because you're going to hate your character after a minute if you do that but um, being able to say in the beginning I know I'm going to want to go into fighter I know I'm going to want to go into wizard right you can make sure that your strength or your intelligence are at 13 when you start so that you don't have to worry about it later and there's benefits to it anyway, so that's fine. So I'm the kind of guy who thinks that D&D is kind of a no-rules situation. You build what you want to build. There's no right way or wrong way to do it. You do it your way, and that's the way that's correct. And so talking about why someone wants to multi-class and the do's and don'ts, it's, it's interesting, but I'm going to handle it as open as possible. So here you go. Why do you want a multi-class? Well, it doesn't matter. <laughs> do you want to multi-class because you're tired of just being one class and being basic and want to do a different thing? Multi-class. Do you want to multi-class because there's a combination you want to try out? Multi-class. Do you want to multi-class because you think your character would just, you know, after a minute be a little bit more... Fine. Multi-class. It's whenever you want. It's why ever you want. Just do it. Are you about to hit an ability score increase at level four, level eight, and you're like, man, but I really want to go into the other class, but oh, I don't want to fall behind an ability score. You can get it later. Go ahead. It's fine. Or you never multi-class, and that's okay too. You play it your way. The main thing to think about when deciding why you want to multi-class is to think about what you're going to gain. Right, So if you think you need more martial ability, great idea to take a martial, a martial class. Probably fighter or barbarian. If you'd rather have sneak attack, rogue is a thing, and rangers suck. Maybe it's not about that. Maybe you want a multi-class because it's a character thing. Well, we've been spending a lot of time in the wilderness, and my character used to be a city person and has now decided, well, but you know, the woods are amazing. The forest is incredible. And now you take a point in, in druid because rangers suck. And so at the end of the day, you just have to decide what's the reason and go for it. It's okay. Any of them are fine. My recommendation is to try to not get to what they call MAD, M-A-D, which is a multi-ability score dependent. It's fine if you do. Again, it's your character, but 
if you find out that the only way you're going to be effective in combat, out of combat, with any of your abilities, whatever you decide effective means, is to have a really high charisma and a really high wisdom and a really high constitution and a really high dexterity and a really, you know, if you need like three or more ability scores at really high levels to be effective, maybe consider pulling it back a little bit. But if you really want to do it, that's your, that's your character. You just do it. Your options are as vast as the game is. You can multi-class into anything that you have a 13 in the base stat of. And so let's talk about it for a second. If I were you, I would start by looking at classes that have similar main abilities. So for example, if you're a warlock, odds are good you're specking into charisma. What else takes charisma? You got bards, you got sorcerers, uh, to some extent, some rogues, paladins. One of their secondary, there's their secondary ability score is charisma, right? Those are good options, but you don't have to. You can go into whatever else you'd like to. Maybe you are a sorcerer and you're like, man, I really hate that I'm getting beat on every time something gets close to me and things get close to me a lot. I'm going to go into fighter so I can get some better armor and maybe have a fighting style. I'm going to go into barbarian so I can rage and have resistance to stuff. Or, I mean, especially in that situation, I'm going to go into paladin. Kind of the same stuff as the fighter, but I also have a little bit of a charisma boost. And that goes into spellcasting a little bit. You want to consider what spellcasting will be affected by that. If you are not a caster, adding any spells is spell positive, which is fine. If you are a full caster, meaning you follow the spell slot progression that a full caster would follow, then adding another class in full caster means that you will progress exactly the same. You just will have access to lower level spells, but higher level spell slots. If you go for a half caster, you're not going to get as many spells. Be aware of that. It's not a bad thing. Just be aware of it. And same with going like a quarter caster. You're going to get spells even slower, which is fine. It's just something to keep track of. The main thing that I want you to do is not to feel confined. Like you have to follow some path. There are a lot of people who put out blogs and, and articles about here's the best multi-class. And here's, you know, if you're a sorcerer, you want to multi-class into this, this, and this. You don't have to do that. You have unlimited options, literally unlimited options. Do you want to take a class to three because you want to get to a certain archetype do it. Do you want to take a thing because it sounds funny? Do it. There's no right or wrong answer to it. Just like there's no right or wrong answer to the game itself, to what your character says, to what race you pick, what background you pick. It's your character. You get to do what feels right for you. And that's the biggest point I could ever make about anything. But I love multiclassing. So I'm going to see if I can't just toss out some inspiration for you. Uh, let me go with the one, <laughs> if I may make every DM listening cringe a little bit. Sorlock! God, I love the Sorlock. It was my first character that I felt really comfortable with, and I didn't even know how broken it was until I read about it when that campaign was over. So let me give it to you straight. Sorcerers and Warlocks share a main ability score, Charisma. And it's great because charisma is awesome out of combat when dealing with people. 
So that's always good. Pact magic, which is what the warlock has, they get their slots back at a short rest. Sorcerers get it back at a long rest. Sorcerers get more spell slots. Pact magic doesn't get that many spell slots, but they refresh faster. With flexible casting, you can take a spell slot, turn it into sorcery points, take sorcery points, turn them into spell slots. So essentially, you will always have access to spells if you take an hour out of your day to rest. They call it a coffee lock. DMs hate it. I love it. I'm a DM. I love it. Right? It doesn't matter. It's great. And they work well together. There's just a lot of great things you can do with it. Using meta magic with Eldritch Blast is ridiculous. If you want to go the complete opposite direction, you could go with a fight barbarian or whatever you want to call it, the fighter barbarian. Uh, taking two very solid martial classes and putting them together. You're going to get a fighting style. You're going to get the ability to rage, which is to deal more damage and resist stuff. Take another couple levels in barbarian and you've got reckless attack. Take a couple levels in fighter and you've got access to all the martial archetypes. It's just a great way to be a martial boss. Just be awesome at it when you're up close. Another one that I like is being a spell sword. A, any martial class with a magic class. Uh, there are some martial classes that have a magic archetype, and they call that quartercaster. So like Eldritch Knight is a thing. You get some spells as a fighter. Uh, Arcane Trickster, you get some spells as a rogue. But sometimes you want to have the access to full caster stuff while being martial. One of my favorite combinations that I've ever built was Paladin, Warlock, Sorcerer. I'm not joking. And I love it. Because in one turn, I can deal multiple D8s and D6s plus modifiers worth of damage. It's my favorite ever. And it's just because I mixed... Now, that's a little cheating because paladins are kind of spellcasters, but they're halfcasters, more or less martial. So put them all together, it's pretty nice. And lately, what I've been looking at is abusing wild shape. If you have a point in druid, just in general, take note of the abilities you have access to. Not just druids, but everybody. Take note of the abilities that you have access to. And you can really abuse them. So I like abusing Wild Shape now because Wild Shape says you can use any of your class abilities, just not spells, which is awesome. If you're Wild Shape, you can rage. If you're Wild Shaped, you can use the Echo of an Echo Knight. There's so much you can do with that. And there's actually a Wild Shape abuse that you can do with the Circle of Spores Druid. But you know what? I'm not going to give it away. Go look into it. Enjoy multi-classing. I hope this helped a little bit. NPCs, the bane of DMs world over. <laughs> They're tough, man. It, it's, it's, it's hard to develop an entire world, uh, let alone the individual not important things that players seem to want to know. I don't want to name the shopkeeper. He's the shopkeeper. Buy your stuff and leave, bro. <laughs> But that's where we get to. We have to be able to make the world immersive at all times. And the trouble with NPCs is it's a lot to keep track of. How many NPCs are there? Well, how many people are in the world, right? How many people do you interact with on a daily basis? And if you were adventuring, how many people would that be? Like, it's, it's a lot to keep track of and remembering what they said to who and how they are as a person, et cetera, et cetera. And the other one is trying to keep the variety alive while still being real. It's not easy to create a character on the fly that just happens to be interesting to talk to. It's it's rough. Let's just go into it real quick. Like how do we how do we do this kind of stuff? 
And here's my process, and it might not be the right process, but I'm going to go with it anyway. Generally speaking, someone who's like a main plot hook, I'll have them figured out ahead of time, obviously, because we've been planning the the NPCs. We know what they are. But if it's like XYZ random shopkeeper or anybody else, townsperson who they're like, excuse me, do you know anything about, right? I kind of just randomize it based on their job, their looks, their race, all that stuff. I just kind of make it up, give them a random voice, go to a random name generator and say, okay, that name looks good and say that name with that voice. So let's just kind of make it up. If I've got a human blacksmith, all right, well, blacksmith, so he's probably going to be pretty buff. So it's going to be kind of a deeper voice. I'm envisioning like the standard blacksmith, big buff dude, big dark beard kind of thing. Not dwarvish because my Scottish accent is not great. But so he'll probably talk like this. It's good to see you. Thanks for coming in. How can I help you? Oh, you need a sword? I can make you a sword. I don't know why I hit a little bit of like a New York accent in there, but that was that. What about uh, you're in a castle and you're talking to the jester? Okay, cool. So court jester, going to be probably a little more high-pitched because if it was lower-pitched, it might mean that he was more more gruff or strong and he wouldn't be a jester, he'd be a knight. Um, he is the kind of person who lives to make people laugh, so odds are good he is going to uh, have kind of a silly voice and I'm going to say probably not the accent of the people who are playing. If you're like, if you, ha- if you are like British or have a, an accent that is not an American accent, maybe an American accent works for me. It would probably be a very exaggerated, silly British. And so he'd talk like this because that's how a jester talks. And maybe, just maybe, he puts emphasis on strange words because he's just that silly. Right. Just kind of like that. And I don't have a name generator up, so I'm not naming either of them. But that's my process. Just kind of make up a voice and go with it. We try to not make all the NPCs mean to the players. I feel like DMs have a tendency to do that because that way they don't have to keep being this NPC. (laughs) But make them compelling. Who knows what's going to happen? Actually, I'll tell you what's going to happen in the next segment, but we'll get there later. Um, And I think the big thing to do is to just keep track of all of them. Just make a list of your NPCs. Google Sheets is a free thing that anybody can use. Um, And you just make a list of your NPCs, their name, their race, their job. And if you have any other notes, put them down. So again, a random name generator, just having that pulled up while you're playing makes it really easy to when they go, what's your name? Oh, David Goliath, whatever his last name would be. Wow, I need to make a Goliath named David now. That's so smart. Anyway, um, but to just have that up so you don't have to worry about it. Generally speaking, a name doesn't matter on a random NPC. If they come back over and over again, then you can make up why their name is that. and Maybe it does mean something. But for the sake of immersion, knowing what someone's name is right away is just a nice thing to have at your disposal. And take notes on the ones that you pick on important interactions with the players, you know, like if, uh, I don't know, let's just make it up again. Let's say um, there's an herbal shop and it's run by this this kind of old dude and he's going to kind of be like this, just, just a little bit down uh, like this because he's old. And one of your players calls him old man, just thinking they're being silly, but they call him old man. Well, I don't appreciate that very much at all. And maybe now... 
this player in the party offended that guy. And so he's going to be less likely to want to work with that party member. Or when that party member buys something from his shop, it's 10% more expensive because of the D-bag tax, right? All that stuff can be incorporated. It's just about keeping track of it. If I were you, which I am not, I would recommend just working on voices. Sometimes a, a different voice is enough to make a new character. Is he gruff? Is he dark and mysterious? Is he kind of just like a nerd a little bit, right? Like, there's there's a lot you can do with it. And just having a, a, a different voice, considering there usually aren't very many visuals to the game, really helps the immersion. It's not just my DM talking to me. It's a different thing. And that's really cool. So have fun with your NPCs, man. And right now, I'll go ahead and get into... What happened with one of my NPCs? This is the tale of the great bard, Urnin. <laughs> um, let me give you the, the setup for this. I was running a one-shot with my best friend and my girlfriend. They were the only two we were going to play. We were just kind of testing it out. And the concept was their characters were hired by the Adventurer's Guild to hunt down a mob boss kind of guy. It was a bounty hunt, essentially. So their job was to go to this village, gather as much information as they could, find this guy, and bring him in, dead or alive. That was it. That was the whole thing. But they only had a day to do it because they knew from their intel ahead of time the plan was for him to flee town. He was going to get out of there. And they knew it was going to take one day. He's done this kind of stuff before. It was just about you got to find him, you got to get him, today. And he was a rough guy. And so that was the whole thing. Now, this town consisted of a few different spots. And as, as time went on, they would discover new key points of interest to go to and talk to people. Well, the first one that they have access to is the market in the center of town. It's exactly what you think. An outdoor market. People have little uh, awning covers over their their baskets, which have all of their wares, be they uh, fruits and other crops for sale, some meats and things like that, maybe clothing, some items like that that they could find in this market. And the market was a, a hubbub, a definite place where people go to just hang out because what else do you do? Well, off in the corner, there was a little bit of a hustle and bustle because there was a very famous bard that made his way to this town. He's only going to be in town for a little bit, just a couple of days. Um, and as they, as the two of them look over, they see this small crowd, maybe like six or seven people, all just in awe looking as this gold dragonborn bard stands there with his lute, plucking and entertaining the masses with this just suave attitude. And the pace of the game went pretty quickly. Um, they were asking around for people and doing these kinds of things well. One of our characters, I won't say which one <clears throat> she was, had a relatively manipulative character and was very much into not taking advantage of people, but taking advantage of people. And so around the center of the campaign, they get back to the market and she says, you know what? I'm going to cast Detect Thoughts and just bounce around between people. And it turned out she, she was looking for one of the bad guys because the other gang members were around and never really found one. But eventually she said, nope, 
put detect thoughts on that bard. She's getting suspicious of that bard. And immediately as she does so, she sees that he kind of looks up at her and raises an eyebrow. And in her head, as she's detecting his thoughts, she hears, I know what you're doing. And she immediately says, I look at him and smile. And I say, he looks back at you and just gives you a little wink. So cool. All right. So we're allies. We, you know, we like this guy. He's not a bad guy. He's pretty cool. And, and we're good with it. This is great. So she doesn't get anything from her detect thoughts. There were bad guys in the market, just to kind of give you that, <laughs> that context. I think she was like two or three away from actually finding the guy, one of the guys. But I digress. So that happened, and they ended up leaving the market because they didn't find anything there. They ended up having an encounter with the big bad in the back of a tavern um, in which he actually almost flesh to stone one of the characters and the other let him go so that the flesh to stone would end. So that was that was a nice little kind of hostage situation there. But here's what happened that I didn't think was going to I, I don't <laughs> there's no way you can plan for this stuff. As they're leaving the tavern, racing to get to the hideout, because as as he left, they found where the hideout was. The tiefling lady says, I want to go back through the market. And I say, okay, you do so. And I brought up the market map. And she said, I want to, I run past Urnin and I just look at him and I go, come with me. We're getting into a fight. <laughs> ah! What am I supposed to do with that? What do you mean you grab him and say we're good? So I'm thinking to myself, well, he's a bard who knows enough about magic to know when he's getting his mind read. So clearly he's been around the block a few times. They've already kind of made friends, so he wouldn't just say no. So I just say, he smiles and nods and follows you. Now all of a sudden, they've got an ally. They're going into the final fight with this bad guy, who, again, it's a one-shot, so he's not going to be crazy. And now I've got an NPC that I have to run. What do you mean? What am I supposed to do here? I don't have any of this stuff. I didn't prepare a character sheet for him. I don't have a, a stat block. I don't know what his abilities are. All I know is that he's a gold dragon and he's a bard. That's it. So what ended up happening was I looked on D&D Beyond and I found a stat block just for a bard. And I was like, it's like CR1 or something. It's not, if, if that, it might have been one half. It doesn't need to be crazy impressive. He doesn't need to be a level 15 adventurer. He's just there. So I'll use this bard stat block and what I know from gold dragonborns and run with it. And so they get down there and he ends up kind of tanking because dragonborn and he stands by the door as well as the tiefling lady arcane trickster jerk face. Um, and they're shooting fire at him because even though he's a bard, he's a dragonborn. He's got fire breath, which is cool. So all that goes down. The other guy is a fighter. He ends up flanking, getting around the back so this bad guy can't run further into his hideout. And they just got him trapped in this corridor. And finally, the, the baddie gets real close to dying and he runs at the exit, trying to get between Ornin and our tiefling. And as he gets there, I have both of them roll 
strength saves to try and stop him. And, I mean, the guy was an abjurer wizard, so he wasn't going to be able to get past. He smacks into him and falls to the ground, uh, and the fighter comes up with the hilt of his blade and just one hard shot to the head, and he's unconscious, and they've got their bounty. And as they're making their way toward the exit, the tiefling looks over to Ornine and says, Thanks for your help. I hope we can call on you again. And he looks back and says, We will see. You'll see I travel a lot. There might be a time when you find me. And that's the story of Urnin. Thank you so much for listening. If you know anybody who you think might enjoy what I've got to say, send them my way, and I will see you next time on Dungeon Man Dragon Master. That was the Dragon Master.